Hey, Paul. Hello, how are you this week, Ed? I'm good, I'm good. Although a little bit downcast by United's performance on, on Saturday, uh, you know, really the worst of the season, I'd say. Yeah. Burnley aside, uh, just terrible against Sunday. Well, I'm not sure I totally agree with that analysis. I think the first um, two-thirds of the match against Sunderland, they were pretty terrible, and the last third of the match, they were much better. And I think, um, kind of, if it wasn't for Ben Foster, they probably would have won the game because they were totally and utterly dominant when Sunderland went 2-1 up. And I think once um, the right team was on the pitch, uh, United looked like a pretty good side again. It's interesting that you mentioned Ben Foster. We'll get on to him later because I think that's an important talking point from the week. But uh, before we, we do a full chat about the Sunderland game, let, let's talk about what last week because that was a lot more positive. I thought United were totally in control, passed the ball okay, ended up scoring enough. Not a stunning performance, but workmanlike and they did enough to win. I'm going to disagree with you again. Uh, I can't believe I've done that twice already. Um, I don't think United looked totally in control at any point in that match, actually. And I think that they were kind of, although they were clearly the better side, they were also somewhat fortunate to end up with all three points because Wolfsburg looked quite threatening every time they went ahead. And um, United's cutting edge was slightly lacking because, you know, it could have easily, that game could have been like, I don't know, 6-3 or something. And uh, there, there was a bit of cutting edge missing, I thought. I, I thought Wolfsburg were good in the first 10 to 15 minutes and then perhaps the first 10, 10 minutes of the second half. But aside from that, they played up to the final third and I didn't think they really troubled Thomas Cusack in the United goal enough for a team of the supposed quality of the German champions. They, they're certainly not as good as, say, the Bayern Munich side that challenged in the early part of the decade. Oh, no, no, absolutely. But they definitely had something about them. And I don't know, watching it, I wasn't comfortable at any point um, watching that game. I didn't think, yeah, we've got this one locked up at any point. And when they went ahead, I thought, yeah, that's that, I, that's been threatening to happen for a while. And it's not so much that they looked particularly good going forward. It was just that they looked like they had enough about them to score on the break, you know, to basically do what Sunderland did. Oh, I think I think you're right. They have a couple of really top class forwards. Um, yeah. Probably better than you know, the standard of the team, um, and they're lucky to have kept them. After I mean, between them, they scored over fifty goals in the Bundesliga last season. So, um, and they caused a lot of problems. I mean, they're both over six foot, quick, physical. Zeko is, uh, you know, gave Ferdinand a lot of trouble. Clearly, the the defenders were nervous about him even before the match started. Uh, Vidic misplaced a couple of passes. Evra did the same, and this was all within the ten, first ten to fifteen minutes of the game. Yeah, yeah, and then and then United did sort of find their rhythm and find some form, and they they looked extremely creative and threatening going forward. And and you know there there was just a kind of combination of just like final balls or a couple of a couple of finishes which weren't just weren't quite not not terrible finishes or anything, but just you know not quite hitting the mark. It was. Um, Sad to see uh, Michael Owen limping off, though, wasn't it? Yet unsurprising. How many times have we seen that? It's. Uh, I'm sure there were quite a few supporters up in Newcastle thinking, "Ah, oh, there you go. We're United are only paying thirty thousand pounds a week for this, rather than one hundred twenty thousand pounds." 
well, yeah, and not paying him if he doesn't play, you know, or, or you know, paying much less if he doesn't play. Quite. Although, although the injury doesn't look too bad, and he'll probably be back for the game after the international break. Uh, but it it did it did change the game when Berbatov came on. United looked a much better side, which sort of feeds into something I wanted to say about the Sunderland game, really, and United in general. I'm I would have I was planning to do some research for this episode, but. Um, events have conspired against me. But I basically wanted to look up United's starting lineup in all the games we've played really well and United's starting lineup in all the games we haven't played quite so well because I kind of think that rather than the normal one and three quarters to two full really good sides of players that we've had quite often in recent years, I'm, I have this sneaking suspicion that we've got like one and a third good sides I, I think I think Ferguson has a lot of a lot of quality at his disposal, and of course he uses that. He ha- he hasn't picked the same side for something like eighty games now. No, um, he, he rotates as much as any other manager in the league. Interesting about the, the forwards. I, I think this season, when United have played really well, when Berbatov is in the side and he's playing with Rooney, this is not because it's four four two and that's how United play or anything. Yeah, like that as such. I just think United have played better then. When United have struggled, they played one up front against Arsenal. They played one up front in Turkey and they weren't that great. Owen started against Burnley and we lost. And we were pretty poor against Wolfsburg for the 20 minutes that Owen... I think Berbatov's having a storming season. I wrote, I wrote this on the blog this week. Uh, I think he's been really good. I think he's been really good for 15 months, however long he's been at the club now. And he's been pretty misunderstood. I think now he's added a little bit more to his game. Um, he talked in midweek about, by the end of the last season, being fourth on the amount of miles run uh, over the course of the season in the United squad on the, the ProZone stats. Um, I think he's taken that to heart. He's prepared to put shift in when he needs to, not when he doesn't. Uh, he's gonna he's he's gonna let the ball do the talking most of the time. But I think he's having a really good campaign. And he- Absolutely, that goal against Sunderland was a thing of absolutely majestic perfection. It was it it was it was such a brilliant goal. And and you know I sent you a text message in the middle of the match saying we're gonna need a moment of magic or a set piece here. And there was just an, a moment of absolute magic. You know, those those kind of there's always a reluctance to attribute meaning to players when they do something really magnificently perfect. Because sometimes you wonder, like, did it just come off his boot right? But the the way he handles the ball generally, I'm sure it was the the placement and ball control he exhibited. Because he didn't hit it particularly hard. He just hit it in exactly the right place, whilst kind of in mid air flying backwards through the air. It was a, it was a stunning strike. Yeah, it, it was indeed. There was something interesting I thought his his dad said a little while ago that he would prefer to pull off a sublime piece of skill than score a goal. And I think that's probably the major criticism I'd have of, of Berbatov. He, he's got so much. He's technically the most gifted forward in the league, so said uh, Harry Redknapp this week. Um, and I, I think he kind of knows it. And he sometimes he just wants to overplay a little bit. And sometimes simplifying the game, going for the the right pass at the right time, shooting when you can, and and Berbatov doesn't always do that, is the right thing to do. And he'll learn at United. Uh, Even top players do learn. um. Well, yeah, I mean, that was was the real change in Ronaldo, wasn't it? That was was the real maturity he added to his game, was simplicity and directness and 
maybe taking the simple option rather than the kind of stereotypical 15 step overs you know little diversion there but um after the Wolfsburg game United now have six points uh CSKA Moscow at home in the next league game we'd expect to win that that'll be nine points and almost there yeah because Besiktas are not going to beat us at home so long as we don't start you know with uh, a makeshift team we're going to beat Besiktas at home or at the very least draw and and three wins from three is a magnificent start, isn't it? And like I, I you know, I think I think winning that first game against Besiktas was key, and not kind of hitting a banana skin against Wolfsburg at home was key. Um, and yeah, it's, it's looking good, isn't it? It is, and, and of course it would give Ferguson options later in the group if he decides to rest some players or bring back Hargreaves and give him a couple of games. Winning the group is still important, though. We we don't want to meet other group winners, and we'd like a home game second time out, and and all of that stuff, and and uh, nothing new there, of course. Uh, I, I'm sure that Ferguson will be looking to wrap up the group and put up sides in game four and five and six that that you know will do enough to to get the results we want, but you know while resting some of the key players. Well, talking of to steal your role, talking of putting out. Um, a side that should get us the res- that should be good enough to get us the result whilst resting some key players. That was clearly what um, Sir Alex tried to do against Sunderland. It was, yeah. He does have a tendency to rest in bunches, doesn't he? Um, sometimes you feel that he likes to rotate. He, as, I, as I said earlier, rotated for 80 games in a row now. Um, but he just left out perhaps you know one too many key players, and it seemed to be a complacent team selection followed by a complacent performance. Exactly. That that was the word. And and Sunderland are not an opposition that deserves a complacent um, team selection because Kenwin Jones and Darren Bent has got to be fairly high up in uh, the Premiership strike partnership. They, I'm sure there's a lot of teams that envy that strike partnership in the Premiership. That's right. Bruce has got them playing as well. So we have Darren Bent, who'd lost a lot of confidence at Tottenham, wasn't rated by Redknapp. Kenwin Jones, people had talked about him leaving Sunderland after last season when he wasn't particularly good. Uh, of course, he was rated very highly after his first season at Sunderland, but Bruce has brought out the best in them. They're playing really well. They have Andy Reid in the centre of the park. He's lost a lot of weight and looking excellent. A stone and a half, according to the ESPN commentator. That's right. Well, he was a fat kid in the first place, but um, yeah, he, he's done him a load of good. Uh, Malbrank and Catamol. Obviously, Malbrank had been there. Catamol, an excellent signing. Bruce adds a bit of steel in the middle, and they're just a, they're just a good side. They're not going to finish in the top five or six, of course, but they're certainly not going to be relegated this season. And I think Bruce returning to Old Trafford, Sunderland in great form, having put five past Wolves the week before, this wasn't the right t- day to uh, rest so many players. Now, halfway through the match, well, probably less than halfway through the match, I had to turn down the commentary because Chris Waddle was co-commentating on ESPN, and I couldn't take the relentless negativity it was starting to get me down oh he should have done better there you know oh, leave it out you know um anyway yeah so yeah i had to turn off the commentary so i couldn't work out why there wasn't an appearance from ryan giggs was he not on the bench he wasn't on the bench they gave him a completely uh free weekend of course they have the international break so effectively they're giving him a couple of weeks off which you can kind of understand he is 35 so um and the freshness is important actually the freshness is uh, Paul Scholes is really important as well because I, I, I think we saw a, a slightly leggy Paul Scholes at the weekend. Well, it was described to me earlier today by a Manchester United season ticket holder as the worst he'd ever, the first 45 minutes, the worst he'd ever seen Paul Scholes play for United. And 
Scholes is definitely starting to play patchily. You know, I mean, Paul Scholes is one of my favourite players of all time and always will be. But age is telling on him in a different way in that it's telling on gigs, in that his form just seems to go occasionally. And there was all those rumours a couple of years ago when he had an eye injury that there was something sort of seriously wrong with him. And um, I think some of some of the uh, inconsistencies in his performance, which is just so, so incredibly unskulls-like, you know, that, that, that might be why some of those rumours popped up. Maybe. I mean, he was excellent against Tottenham for an hour before he got exactly. the red card. He was exactly. superb against Stoke. He put two passes together against Sunderland. It was incredible to see it and, and quite sad. And let's just hope that's a blip because he has been pretty good when he's played this season. Um, I'm sure it's a blip. Yeah, so United got away with that one. Ferguson was quite honest. He said, we have bad days. We had a bad day uh, and, and they've got to fix it. The, the players will go off to the international break. A few of the old guys will be... And Ben Foster included, um, and I wanted to chat a little bit about him. And um, they've got that bad performance out of the way. They have Bolton at home next, and again another team that you you don't want to mess around with. And uh, you know who are looking okay at the moment, Bolton. Um, so I'm sure Ferguson will want to put a strong side out after the international break and and get some momentum back into the campaign. Yeah, I mean, talking of momentum in the campaign, um, Chelsea with a Big three points immediately after United had dropped points. It's uh, looking slightly ominous, but fortunately they lost to Wigan the week before, which just goes to prove what you said right at the first episode of Rankcast. This is going to be a season where teams, um, there's a lot more spread of points this season. There's going to be a lot more points dropped where you wouldn't necessarily expect them this season. I I think they are. um, Chelsea are looking very strong, though. uh, Very, very strong. And I I think... um, Ancelotti doesn't seem to have needed any time to settle in. He's got the team playing. They play this very narrow formation. And for a little while against Liverpool, Liverpool kind of matched them up. They played extremely narrow in the back four. They effectively played with four centre-backs. And Chelsea just couldn't get through them. But once they did, uh, there was only one winner there. And Chelsea just looked really good. And Liverpool showed why they're missing Alonso so much. Uh, that The middle of the park there is just not the same. Is this the makings of a rank cast drinking game? Basically, whenever whenever anyone says describes Darren Fletcher as Manchester United's most important midfielder, or whenever Ed says uh, Liverpool are really missing Fernando Alonso this season. Hey, look, not that I'm complaining. I, I'm hoping that Liverpool are so poor this season they miss out on the top four, which would be hilarious. But Did I just call him Fernando Alonso? I think you did, yeah. <laughs> That's weird. It's been a long day. I wonder how long Torres stays at Liverpool, especially if they don't uh, don't finish in the top four. Someone's going to not finish in the top four, I think, because it's looking like, well, I mean, you'd have to say at this stage it's going to be fairly surprising if Manchester City don't finish in the top four. Tottenham going great guns too. Uh, I mean, I talked about the top five point spread being closer than ever. It might even be the top six or seven um, if Aston Villa can put a, a run together. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be tight for Liverpool, I think. Uh, if they carry on playing like this, we'll, we'll see. So, after Sunderland, we have the international break, um, and, and one player not uh, appearing for his country this uh, this fortnight will be Ben Foster, pulled out the England squad with a mysterious chest injury. Um, and it is, I, I thought one of, the, one of the most telling things about that was normally the international management would expect the injured player to report to the England doctor to have the injury checked out. Fabio Capello just didn't bother asking. 
He he obviously now has a great relationship with Ferguson and believes that every injury that a United player has is genuine. <laughs> that that might serve us well uh, when we need to, Wayne Rooney to not play in a friendly against Kazakhstan. Yeah, that's right. Or, or perhaps Ben Foster's uh, confidence is so shot now that um, he wasn't going to be picked anyway. Yes, I think that might be slightly more likely. Um, it was really unfortunate. I mean, we talked about the bizarre psychological experiment that is the way... Um, Alex Ferguson's handling Ben Foster's career, but dropping him against Wolfsburg after his first good performance of the season does not seem to have had the required effect. And, and you know, I, I mean, I, I think that's it, right? I think that's his United career probably finished. I think you could be onto something there. I, I, I'm not one of the people who knocked Ben Foster. Um, some fans have been critical, like from almost from game one and understandable, a weak punch against Chelsea in the Community Shield was mistake number one of quite a lot this this season already he had a couple of great seasons at Watford but that was four years ago he's had a couple of seasons on the sidelines for United in truth he's not very experienced and it's kind of showing and I, I think a lot of his problems come from nervousness and lack of confidence um, he made quite a bad mistake pre-season against the Malaysia 11 and uh, a lot of people have been talking this week that that was the start of the problems then he missed the one against Arsenal Arshavin's hit shot that he should have kept out Two mistakes against City. I mean, the second one less obvious than than the first, of course, but I, I think a top keeper wouldn't have gone down so early for Bellamy. Then the mistake against Sunderland and, and arguably the first as well. I mean, he did, he got down very late for that. It was a quick shot, very little back lip from Darren Bent, but uh, the top keeper might have kept that out. So I think you can probably attribute either directly or semi-directly six goals against United this season to Ben Foster. And it's not. This is not like because we enjoy knocking the kid when he's down at all. You know, it's 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 an extremely difficult thing to do to step up and become the Manchester United goalkeeper. And we've seen it, you know, time and time again since Schmeichel, from all the way from Schmeichel to Van der Sar. This was a this was a a, a solution waiting to be found. You know, it, it's it's a problem position because it's such a difficult job because the pressure's incredible. It's magnified by the fact that you have so much less to do when you're United keep when you're the United keeper and not having a lot to do is is not an easy thing for a keeper. And at United, he's going to be standing around for a lot of the time. It's concentration. That's why Van der Sar is so good. Even going into his old age, I mean. We've seen some uh, occasions when he's looked a bit tired and perhaps hasn't um, got to the balls that he should. But Van der Sar's concentration is so good because he's played at top clubs for most of his career, Fulham aside. And he's played in really big games. He's 130 caps for, for Holland. Ben Foster's following that and, and it's really hard for him. And as talented as he is, and he may be, as Ferguson has said in the past, England's solution for the next 10 years, he may be. Um, he might come out of this a stronger keeper. He might do. And I don't think anyone can tell you right now that he certainly will. He might come out of this Richard Wright. And Richard Wright's playing in the championship now. So, um, and he was a talented keeper too. Obviously, he went to Arsenal for all that money all those years ago. And so I think there's nothing guaranteed with Foster. As talented as he is, you have to put that talent into action. At the moment, he's not doing it. For a keeper, there are just too many mistakes. Um, And you can point to all the saves he's made and the, the... People who defend him will do that. And yes, he's made some top-class saves. But isn't that what a keeper at Manchester United should do? That's the minimum you expect. Yeah, and 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 the question of whether he'll get another chance or not. I mean, Kushak was pretty good against Wolfsburg, right? And van der Sar's coming back. Now, I, I think that van der Sar... 
fantastic world beating, one of the greatest of all time as he is, really is start, has been starting to show his age and has been nudging towards slight liability status. And when he got injured in pre-season, I must admit, I kind of thought, actually, that might not be such bad news. Although, of course, Ben Foster's form has meant that it kind of has been. I, th- I think um, part of the problem with Van der Sar is, is uh, age means that he, he needs longer time to rest. And the United had an incredibly long season last year. Yeah. 57 games, something like that. And I think by the end of the season... He just looked a bit jaded. Now, he's had an extremely long summer. He, he, he came back for pre-season. He had about three or four pre-season games, and then he broke the finger against Bayern Munich. Um, and now he's had another rest. So um, he might be a little bit rusty, but he's had a big, long rest. But, I, I mean, surely, um, obviously, like, goalkeepers can last a bit longer than outfield players, but surely just the kind of reaction speed that you need and con- concentration and just the ability to kind of fling yourself onto the ground down to your left to stop a shot at the last minute I mean you know once you're 40 years old that's not easy to do anymore I would have thought oh that's right and and, and most top keepers bow out about this age and this is why everyone's talking about it being Van der Sar's last year but he's still going to be United's number one he'll probably play against Bolton now so depends on Foster's injury I think either way Ferguson might decide to take Foster out the firing line if it's a bit more serious, and it's going to keep him out. They might just rush Van der Sar back. He's back in training. I mean, in, in theory, um, they, there is a reserve game in between now and the Bolton game. He could play in that, and he could be ready for Bolton. So I wouldn't be too surprised to see Van der Sar on the 17th of October. So um, who's Manchester United's next goalkeeper then? Who's, who's, who is the next Peter Schmeichel or Edwin Van der Sar that we're, we're going to face? Because it doesn't look like, you know... Ben Foster's gonna gonna be able to do that. Obviously, Thomas Kuchak isn't isn't that player, although he's you know he's a very decent goalkeeper. Um, is there is there a natural player out there on the world stage that you think, yep, well, well, he's potentially viable and would be good enough? No, don't know actually. Um, and uh, United being um, linked to so many goalkeepers, I'm sure none of the top the top top goalkeepers are available. Casillas. Buffon, Czech, all locked down. There is Julio Cesar uh, into Milan, who is a top keeper and in theory could be available. Who knows? Uh, United have tended to get linked with younger goalkeepers at smaller clubs. And who knows? I mean, a lot of this is agent talk. I think the one thing's for sure, I don't think Van der Sar will sign a new contract. I think this is definitely his last season. I don't think Foster will play again, except maybe in the Carling Cup. Unless there's another injury, uh, if there is, it might be that Foster's confidence is so gone that Cusack gets a chance. I don't believe that Foster, uh, if he has any kind of ambition, um, and I think he does, I don't think he'll stay at United to sit on the bench uh, for another guy to come in next season. It definitely doesn't work rotating goalkeepers. The defence needs some solidity when we had that situation with uh, Tim Howard and Roy Carroll a few years ago. That caused more problems than it solved, swapping in between them every few games. Um, so it might well that Ferguson's looking for two goalkeepers this summer. And uh, we're not even sure there's one on the market that we want. So. Oh, that's right, that's right. And it, they'll scale the international market. for, and, and it might be that they pick someone out of the World Cup who's done really well. Yeah, it's always a dangerous game to play. And of course, talking of the World Cup, international week this week and some interesting uh, permutations. Most teams are on eight of nine, some, some on nine of nine. Group one. Uh, Denmark, Sweden and Portugal and of course we have uh, Nani in the Portugal squad uh, Nani he's been 
pretty infuriating already this season as he has been for for the past few years at the club. Um, except I have to say, in the last twenty minutes at Sunderland, when he put in five fantastic balls in a row, it was I suppose that 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 is infuriating in its way because you think why why haven't you been doing this for nine? So Group One, Denmark, Sweden play um, at the weekend, and uh, they're the top two. Right, so I, I guess uh, yeah, a win for Denmark would take them through. That's them qualified. Denmark only need two draws, and they play Hungary after that, and Hungary are down in fourth place. Uh, Portugal, they have a bit of a problem. Uh, they're they're at home to Hungary. They, they kind of desperately need to win that. If they want to win the group, they have to win it. More realistically, they're chasing Sweden for second. Um, and then Portugal play Malta, and that would be a, a given, you'd think. Uh, one point from nine games, Malta... They're in they're in a decent position. Sweden play Albania, so Portugal are kind of hoping that yeah you know, Denmark and Sweden draw or Denmark win, and they can uh, we might be able to see Ronaldo and and Nani at the World Cup if uh, if Portugal take their next two games. So what you're saying is you kind of want Sweden to win. Well, it depends. Do we do we want to see Ronaldo and Nani at the World Cup? Um, I'd, uh, mm, I don't know. No, our official policy is that we're against Schadenfreude, isn't it? So, yes, we do want to see Ronaldo and Nani at the World Cup. We don't want Cristiano Ronaldo to miss out on the World Cup. That that wouldn't be funny at all. No, no, it wouldn't. I mean, he'd have a lot more time to get his suntan going. Um, so in Group 3, there's another interesting one. Johnny Evans, Northern Ireland. Uh, they're in kind of joint third place on 14 points. Their problem is they go away to the Czech Republic. Now, the Czech Republic have actually had a really poor campaign this time out. Um, so, but it's not a, you know, that's not an easy game by any means. So they have to win. They've played the game more than Slovenia in second place. Uh, they have to hope that Slovenia get nothing from their trip to Slovakia, who are top. And then Slovenia go to San Marino, and you'd kind of expect them to win that game. So um, it might come down to goal difference, which means Northern Ireland have to win fairly comfortably in the Czech Republic. They've probably blown it, but you never know. Well, yeah, and and blown it's pretty harsh because for the resources at their disposal, Northern Ireland have had two absolutely fantastic qualification campaigns in a row, Um, although I suppose that's somewhat cold comfort to the players, but it all makes a difference to seedings and future qualification groups and stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. Um, One other interesting group, I think, uh, Group 7, Serbia and France are battling it out there. Serbia have five points uh, four, sorry, four points on France now going into the last two games. Of course, um, I would say Patrice Evra's France, but he hasn't played in a while, seems to be fourth choice at the moment. No, and if he was playing, they wouldn't be in the situation they are. Well, they might be, but they, Patrice Evra, uh, yeah, we've talked about this before, but that's got to be the strangest decision in the whole of world football, not not making Patrice Evra your first choice international left-back. When I'm pretty sure he's the, my first choice left-back in a world eleven. Gerald Clichy, I don't think he's a good player. I don't think he's as good. Abidal, not a chance, but he plays for Barcelona. So, you know, that, that sways things. Um, but, of course, we have Nemanja Vidic. Uh, Zoran Tosic uh, has been in the, the Serbia squad. Uh, doesn't play for United or United's reserves. Uh, he seems to be having a, an extended holiday in Manchester before we pack him off somewhere else. Um, and, and, of course, Adam Lalic is uh, our other Serbian, not joined us yet, joins in January, but he's, he's not in the full squad. But it looks like Serbia will qualify and France will be uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, it's interesting to see what's happened to the France national side. It just goes to show, doesn't matter how talented your uh, international players might, how talented the players from your country might be, if your manager is Raymond Dominic, you will struggle.
And then England, uh, a couple of meaningless games now, Belarus and, and Ukraine. Um, Neville not in the squad. He talked about that today. He thinks probably his international career is over. That's probably fair enough. Uh, Michael Carrick might get a game. That That's the worst street at the moment that um, Capello wants to try out a few options. So we might see Michael Carrick play. He hasn't played United this season and then he gets an England game. That's a, kind of ironic. Interestingly enough, the only way that we'll see him is by paying four ninety nine to watch him on the internet. I've just uh, read that on the BBC News site, the game being shown exclusively live over the internet. It's been picked up by a, a bunch of newspapers. Um, there's a, a media company. They've done this before. They've uh, picked up a few other games, uh, UEFA Cup games last season and pay-per-view. It's actually four ninety nine if you buy it now, rising to something like eleven ninety nine on the day, which is pretty steep for a meaningless World Cup game. You're streaming over the internet, and and no pubs will have it either. Um, and I believe like one cinema chain showing it, so it's it's an interesting one. I don't think fans will be very happy. And you know, eleven ninety nine is a lot of money to pay for an absolute must win qualification game for England, given how dreadful they quite often perform. So for a meaningless um, a meaningless qualification game, that's a that's that's a painful amount to have to lay out. Uh, on which note, let's uh, let's leave it there for today. We have Bolton at home uh, on the 17th of October uh, after this God-forsaken international break.